We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Plenty of action to be had on NFL wildcard weekend uh, coming up this weekend. So make sure you check out WinBet for all of your sports wagering needs. Uh, but on the RotoWire NBA podcast, Alex Barutha, we're going to talk about the NBA. And I want to start in Memphis, uh, where the Memphis Grizzlies earned their 10th consecutive win last night, taking down the Golden State Warriors. No Draymond Green for Golden State. You know, that needs to be stated. Um, and for fantasy purposes, Draymond has already been ruled out of the Warriors next two games. Sounds like he'll probably miss Sunday's game against Minnesota as well with that calf injury. Uh, but the Grizzlies had no Dylan Brooks. They were without Steven Adams in this game. So somewhat of a wash uh, in terms of injured players, obviously Draymond uh, kind of an impossible piece to replace for the Warriors, but man, this was an impressive win by Memphis, a, a complete team win. You know, you had guys like Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Tyus Jones uh, stepping up. I thought Tyus Jones had maybe his best game in a long time, definitely his best game of the season last night, five of five from three point range. Uh, but, but Alex, I, I have to ask the kind of cliched question that was asked immediately on NBA TV after this game concluded, are the Memphis Grizzlies an actual title contender? Was this the kind of win that, that maybe propels you from kind of upstart, you know, fun, scrappy team to a team that if you're Phoenix or you're Utah, or certainly if you're Golden State, you have to kind of take seriously now uh, when you look at these Western Conference standings, because the Grizzlies are now two and a half games behind Golden State. That's it. I think you have to take them seriously, because obviously they continue to beat really good teams. And despite being shorthanded, the Grizzlies are always making things happen. Um, but I just it's hard for me to take them seriously as a legitimate title contender. I think I think they could get to the Western Conference Finals. I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, the West. You know, there are established, uh, there's an established hierarchy at the top with Phoenix and Golden State and to some extent Utah. But beyond that, the West is pretty much like it's pretty soft and any of these teams, you know, can kind of slide in and claim the, the top of the second tier. And um, I just, I just wouldn't consider them a real title contender because I don't think they have, I don't think they have the top end talent um, to like really consistently take on teams like the Warriors, the Suns, or the teams in the East. I think you're right. I think we've seen a lot of teams like this over the years that, you know, everything seems to come together. And, you know, you have you have your like seven, eight, nine guys on the roster all playing really well. And you watch a game like last night and you're like, man, this team could beat anybody. You know, when, when Tyus Jones is giving you that many good minutes and, you know, you're getting massive performances out of a guy who – you drafted, you know, and Desmond Bain, who you're like, okay, maybe he'll be an okay role player at best. Like, you know, they've had everything kind of go their way 
this season. But yeah, at the same time, like we've, we're yet to see a team like this actually get over the hump in their first year. There's been a lot of teams that, that have, you know, have a season like this and they ultimately end up taking their lumps to the playoffs. And then two or three years later, we see that team break through. I, I think Memphis is definitely on that path. Um, I, I think the one difference though, between this team and, you know, take a team even like the Atlanta Hawks, you know, from like 2015 or 16, whatever that year was where, where they were the number one seed and just ripping through everybody. You know, they have a guy in John Morant who is a legitimate MVP candidate at this point. Um, you know, he's, he's 30 to one in terms of the odds. And part of that is you just have so many strong, you know, really, really good future hall of fame players ahead of him. Um, but he, I, I think at this point, he's a lock for me to win most approved player. We'll talk about those odds in a little bit, but when he's playing at basically a borderline MVP level, to, to me, that does kind of elevate everyone around him. But at the end of the day, you know, if, if Jaron Jackson, who I, I like and has been really good defensively of late, you know, that guy probably can't be your your number two option or your second best player. Um, you know, Dylan Brooks, a, a really good player, but, you know, not a guy who you want as your second or third option as well. Like, it, it feels like that glut of guys who, again, are all playing very well, but that glut of guys that they have on their, like, two through eight, two through nine on that roster are, are all good, but you just need one or two of those guys, I feel like, to make another leap before you start talking about this team as an actual contender. Yeah, Moran was obviously really good in the playoffs last year, um, playing game, like that whole stretch, along with Dylan Brooks, who basically is like kind of had his breakout, um, you know, in, in those games against like Golden State. Um, yeah, it does, it does feel like they're missing a reliable number two. And yeah, like I think there is, you know, like they can put that together with Bain, Brooks, Jaron Jackson, like those guys can all step up individually in certain games and, I just, I, I feel like it's, you know, the, obviously the game plan for any team going against Memphis in the playoffs is shut down John Morant, which is easier said than done, um, you know, because he's, I mean, one of the best athletes I've ever seen. Um, it might be like the best, I don't know, he's, he might be the best athlete uh, in the NBA right now. Um, but I just don't know how much I trust. Like, if you can somehow force the ball out of Morant's hands, I don't know who I really trust on Memphis to like make another team better. Right. I think you have too many guys who, who do tend to run hot and cold. Um, and again, I think it, to me, it comes down to Jaron Jackson, who is it's just such a unique piece. And I know I've kind of compared him to Porzingis at times this year. I think if you look at the stat profiles, they're, they're awfully similar. Um, and, and even the durability concerns, you know, Jaron Jackson hasn't had some of the major injuries that Porzingis has had, but he's missed as much time as just about anybody over these last few years. And, and, you know, I think we think of him as this, you know, versatile kind of stretch big man. And, and he's had a few games this year where, you know, he had, he's had like multiple games where he's made four or five threes. He, he was six of seven uh, in that uh, record setting win over OKC last month. But, you know, last year he was a 28% three point shooter this year. He's a 31% three point shooter on almost six attempts per game. So at, at the end of the day, this is not a reliable outside threat. Um, and to me, that's a, that's a pretty major liability for me. You have Jackson locked up under contract. I think that kicks in next year, uh, if I remember correctly. But you, you locked him up on a four-year, $105 million deal. I don't imagine that deal looking like a steal in retrospect. I, I don't think it's going to be a bad deal. I think it's going to be just a, okay, he met value type of contract. Um, but, you know, I, I, I was a little curious, I guess, that they locked that in, uh, more so based on how much time Jaron Jackson has missed over these last three years. Um, the, the question for me is, is if you're Memphis, do you, do you take path, path number one, which is essentially keep playing the season out, you know, see, see where you can go with this core, uh, or do you take path number two? And, you know, a lot of these guys that we that we're talking about, these role players, their value is probably at an all time high and, and certainly could get higher in the future, but it's at an all time high to date. Do you potentially consider dangling a Jaron Jackson or a DeAnthony Melton or Desmond Bain or Brandon Clark or Conchar or, or even Zaire Williams, who had a, a season high in points last night. Do you consider dangling any of those guys for an immediate upgrade, which of course would risk, you know, disrupting the good thing that you have going so far? Yeah, that's not an easy decision. I feel like if I were the Grizzlies, I mean, you have to consider team chemistry. You have to consider, I think, you know, and at some point that stuff goes out the window, right? When you, I think when you become stagnant, you, you have to stop 
thinking so much about, well, this team's been together for so long. All these guys really like each other. The fans are really committed to all these guys and it, it feel wrong to break them up. I think as long as you are continuing to improve that you just keep the core together and you don't pull a trigger on a, a drastic trade that could, I think, just mess up the chemistry of the team. Like they've improved their winning percentage every season since the 2017-18 season. I think you just keep doing what you're doing. And when things become stale, they become stagnant, you take a step back. That's when you kind of reevaluate, like, who is really core to our roster? What do we need to do to, to basically uh, take another step up? I think the question is, what kind of return are we talking? You know, if you're if you're going to cash out, like, Desmond Bain and, and a pick to get Harrison Barnes or something, like, that, that to me, it's not worth it. You know, I, I think you, you need to be getting a player who significantly changes the course of your franchise. And then obviously it would have to be something that, that John Morant signs off on. And, and the way that this team is built right now, you know, you're in the middle of a 10 game winning streak. So I, I don't think the Grizzlies came home from beating golden state last night and said, all right, who can we trade? How can we get better? Um, but it, it's something that, that teams are considering at all times. It, my question to you is like, who's the best player you could get for a package built around say Desmond Baines, IR Williams, and, and a couple picks, you know, does that get you, does that get you in the conversation for Sabonis? Does that get you in the conversation for CJ McCollum? Does that get you in the conversation for Siakam? I, I I really don't know. I don't know either. Those guys feel a little out of reach. I mean, it, it, it really depends on how much the, the other teams believe in Bain. I think if you threw in picks, you know, you might have a chance to get like a, a McCollum type if the, you know, the Blazers um, decide to go full rebuild. It's tough because, you know, we've talked about this before, but the, the team that's taking on these guys also has to sell to their fans that hey, this guy can be a legitimate building block. And, you know, I making Desmond Bain like the legitimate number one or number two option on your rebuilding team, I think is fine because he's kind of already doing that for a team that's succeeding. But yeah, his, his value is kind of muddy to me. I don't, I don't really know. He just, he, he came onto the league so fast. Like he was like good as a rookie um, but this year it's been like such a dramatic step up that it's hard to, I think, project out what his NBA career is going to look like. Well, he's a tough guy to project out because I, I don't, I don't know that he ever is higher than like the third option on a really good team. Right. You know, it, it's, uh, he's kind of going down that like McCall Bridges type of territory where every single team in the league wants McCall Bridges, but how many teams are signing up for McCall Bridges to be like your number one or number two guy? You know, I, I, I don't, I, I think he, He's really, really good as a super role player. I, I don't know that he's necessarily someone that you look at as like a future primary ball handler. Yeah, I agree. And right now, I mean, he's he's efficient. He's a high volume three point shooter, you know, pretty good passer for like what his role is in the offense. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, you know, if you're another team, you'd be ecstatic if he was the number two option. If he, if he turned into like a legitimate number two option. But then the question has to be, you know, if you're the Grizzlies and he's already in your system and you already have this equity with him, why not just keep him and hope that he becomes that guy for you? And, you know, of course, if you are able to upgrade into something like McCollum or um, Siakam, maybe you go ahead and do that. But I don't know. I mean, if you're if he keeps, you know, he's not going to keep improving at this rate. But how many years, you know, is it two years, three years that McCollum and Bain are like maybe almost similar value. So you don't, you don't want to do something too dramatic, especially when your team is so young like this. Yeah. I, I don't think they're shopping doesn't bait. I'll say that. I, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you know, is his value high enough that it, it gets you into that conversation to land somebody who, you know, is an all-star or an all-star caliber player like a McCollum. I, I don't necessarily know that McCollum's a great fit next to Morant anyway. Yeah. You know, I, I think in right. some ways you're, you're like repeating basically what hasn't worked in Portland um, you know, yeah. small backcourt, two guys who try hard on defense, but will never be great defenders just because of kind of how they're built. Um, so I, I don't I don't think that's the right path for Memphis. I mean, I'm just kind of just throwing names out there. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? 
head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six U.S. states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding nationwide. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. All you have to do is download the WinBet app right now. That's WinBet, W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for RotoWire's fantasy podcast. Thrive Fantasy is back for another season of fantasy basketball, and they're running guaranteed contests every single day this NBA season. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes who have the biggest impacts on the game. Sign up today, and you'll get a free six-month RotoWire subscription. That will give you access to everything on our website, not just our NBA content, all of our other sports, a ton of value wrapped up in that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Here's how you can go about claiming your free RotoWire subscription. Step one, visit rotowire.com slash thrive. That's T-H-R-I-V-E. Step two, deposit a minimum of $10 and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. Finally, step three, play in your first paid contest and then you'll receive that free six-month RotoWire subscription. Thrive Fantasy, check it out today. The NBA season is underway, and Yahoo is excited to go big on daily fantasy basketball this season. There will be a ton of big prize contests throughout the season on Yahoo, including their multi-entry contests, which are now shark-free. To celebrate Yahoo going big on DFS, as well as Yahoo Daily Fantasy becoming shark-free, Yahoo's giving all users the opportunity to claim a free $10 in site credit. Users can take advantage of this free $10 site credit to join one of Yahoo's biggest contests. Yahoo will have daily NBA contests all season long as well. Play a single game contest of your choice throughout the week. Then join Yahoo's weekly Friday main NBA contest to compete for large cash prizes. Play daily fantasy basketball on Yahoo this season. Visit sports.yahoo.com slash daily fantasy slash welcome to claim that free $10 offer and get started today. I will say it with the trade deadline basically a month away, it's pretty hard to come up with names outside of the same like Sabonis, Levert, Turner, Ben Simmons that have just been recycled over and over for the last couple of months. Like they're, 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 you know, a lot, a lot of teams like OKC, Houston, like they seem fairly content uh, with the cores that they have in place. A lot of the bad teams, you know, Detroit's kind of in that conversation as well. You could talk about selling off a piece like Eric Gordon, but you know, that's not really the conversation we're having here. Like, there really just aren't that many like big time names. I think that you could conceivably see uh, being on the move. Yeah. And I mean, just, I think, I think the value of those guys you're talking about, like the secondary players on, on like Memphis and for any team in the league that's kind of up uh, young and up and coming is how do they perform in the playoffs? Like, I think, I think we need to wait on, you know, to like really see how, you know, Bain, those guys play. We were talking like the Cavaliers or something like how well is Evan Mobley going to play in the playoffs, Darius Garland, stuff like that. Um, but you're right. And it's like, you know, a lot of these teams that, that, that may, if we're talking like the names that aren't being floated out there, um, you know, like Houston, you mentioned Houston. I, obviously, like the Grizzlies aren't going to be interested in Kevin Porter Jr. Um, and I don't think they really want to dive into the Christian Wood situation when they already have someone like Jaron Jackson. Right. Um, you know, like we've talked about Beal before, but again, I'm kind of with you where it's like, I'm not super in love with the idea of like, um, taking the ball out of Jaws hands. You know, I think, yeah. I think there is an argument for like trying to make the offense less heliocentric because we've seen teams in the past succeed when they, when there are guys who can provide relief. Um, but yeah, I just, I'm not, I'm not really sure, um, who else would be available. I mean. I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Memphis ended up doing absolutely nothing because just the way that they've ascended and I think they want to see, I think they just really are interested in seeing how this plays out. Um, because I, I, if I was them, like organizationally, general manager, like top to bottom, you know, you'd feel amazing about what you've, what you've done with this rebuild. And I think you just, you kind of just want to see it play out naturally. Well, and more than anything, you know, of all the, the top teams in either conference, they have no expectations. You know, I mean, they're like 
they could basically like lose every game the rest of the way and you'd still be like that was a fairly successful year like we had a really nice run in, in, in December and January uh like they you know they're, they're under no pressure to win the title this year they're under no pressure to even win a playoff series this year and you know if, if they keep winning at this rate and all of a sudden they're the third seed in the Western Conference when the playoffs start yeah then you have some expectations but at the end of the day yeah there's there's it's not like this is a make the finals or we're cleaning house in the front office. You know, I mean, this, this front office has done about as good a job as anybody uh, over the last four or five years, you know, really starting with the Morant pick. So, yeah, I, I would say, you know, if, if you're handicapping it, they're like minus 500 to make no major moves. But it, it's just an interesting opportunity because you have so many guys playing well at the same time. Uh, you just wonder if, you know, if, if they have considered uh, those conversations. So I mentioned John Morant uh, moving up in the MVP race. I, like I said, I think he's a lock at this point, at least for most improved player, minus 145, uh, which, which is saying a lot because they're, this is a pretty strong field this year. You know, like Miles, Miles Bridges would win this award in a landslide in a lot of years, and he's almost at five to one. You know, you got Darius Garland, 19 to one, DeJounte Murray, 13 to one. Those guys have had amazing seasons as well, but that's the kind of leap that John Morant has taken. I'll, I'll kind of ask you the same question about Ja as I did with the Grizzlies. You know, is he a legitimate MVP candidate or is this just, all right, he's having a nice run. You know, last night was a big game on on TV. Everybody saw it. Now we have to start talking about him as an MVP candidate. I'm seeing him at 30 to one right now. I I mean, if he can keep playing the way that he's played lately, then yes. The thing is, when you look at his overall numbers on the season, I'm just not quite sure they're, you know, like they're gaudy enough. Um, and for posterity, he's averaging 25 points, 6.7 assists, um, and he's shooting 49, 38, 77, which is obviously very good. But those don't scream all-star or uh, MVP numbers. Those are kind of like those – that's like the Derrick Rose uh, kind of like MVP yes. numbers. And that's fine. Um, and, you know, the more you think about it, like we've talked about – we talked about a decent amount of guys who could all win MVP this year. You know, Durant, Curry, Giannis, Jokic. Like, there are a lot of potential names. And just kind of by war of attrition, it's possible Josh sneaks in um, and people would rather give him MVP, you know, especially if Memphis finish, ends up finishing, like, I mean, first, you know, second or, I mean, first in the West isn't even completely out of their realm. Like, they're 29 and 14. Oh, not at all. The Suns are 30, 31 and 9. You know, the Suns go on a bad five-game stretch or something like that, or someone gets hurt. I mean, if Memphis is the number one or the number two seed, then yeah, like, you have to have a real conversation about it. For now, I wouldn't feel great putting money on it, but it's not its not an insane conversation to have. Yeah, I mean, if you look at other guys in that area of the odds, I mean, you have, you have DeRozan at 28-1, to 1, you have LeBron at 40-1, to 1, you got Embiid at 40-1. to 1. Um, that's, that's probably where I draw the line of, of guys who, you know, in, in some crazy scenario could still win it. Like I, I maintain LeBron will finish in the top five. He, he, we're, we're already starting to see the narrative. Magic Johnson of all people, uh, was, was either on TV or on the radio yesterday saying that LeBron should be the MVP front runner. Thank you, Magic, for your <laughs> contribution there. Um, but you know, I mean, he has the numbers at least like if, if the Lakers were even marginally better, LeBron would be very much in this conversation, but they've just had such a disastrous year. Um, that I don't think that's the case. With that said, if the Lakers go on a run and win like eight out of 10 games at some point, which I know seems astronomically unlikely, uh, but if that were to happen, you know, they're not that far down in the standings. And all of a sudden, if they're, if they could work their way up to like fourth in the West, I think LeBron will enter that conversation. Also interesting to me is that, you know, Stephen Curry is still the favorite. I I see him at plus 150, uh, but the gap has closed between Curry and the rest of the field. Kevin Durant is at plus 190. You know, Durant's just been rolling along doing Kevin Durant things. But to me, this is more about Curry you know, quietly kind of falling off here over the last, I mean, we're not even talking like a couple of weeks. We're talking 22 games. So more than half of the season, his last 22 games, he's shooting 39% from the field and 36% from three. And, you know, we're, we're, we kind of judge Steph Curry uh, on a different standard just because of the player that he's been. But man, I mean, sub 40% for that long. And we have not seen a stretch like that from Curry in a very long time. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I knew he was not playing well. I didn't realize the, the stretch was that long. I mean, I, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it feels like he kind of started, things started to get weird around when he was about to break the record. Yes, am I, am exactly. I wrong? And Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was a few games before that where it 
you know, he never said it, but you could kind of tell he was pressing. You know, he started, he had that game where he took like 17 threes against Portland. He took 17 against the Spurs. Like some of the attempts were starting to get a little reckless. And then right after the new year, he went like two of 19 over a two game stretch. I mean, if you actually shrink that, that sample and just throw out, um, or excuse me, you, you, you subtract the four uh, last games, I guess. This is like the worst way ever of explaining this. But basically, if you shrink it down to just his last 18 games, he's down to 37% from the field and 34% from three. Yeah, I can't really explain that. I mean, I haven't watched enough Warriors to be like, this is the reason Steph Curry is struggling. Um, but it, I mean, it seems like it'd be a mental thing since it did kind of start around the three-point record and, you know, kind of nervous leading up to that. And then maybe after it, you kind of feel that, like, relief and accomplishment. And it's just your focus is a little bit gone compared to where it was before. Um, that's the only way I can explain it other than, you know, I haven't seen, like, a tongue on the court that make me think that. But hopefully, I mean, you know, they're basically going to almost be completely healthy. I mean, Draymond's going to come back, should come back relatively soon. Clay's back. Um, that will make things really interesting for them. And hopefully that sort of thing can kind of re- reshift his um his shooting i mean i don't think this is anything that's going to be like i don't think we're still going to be talking about this in like february for example i think it'll be fine by then um and obviously like if you're if you have him in fantasy you just it is what it is like you're not going to trade him anything like that so you just gotta kind of ride it out we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I, to me, like, I, I think there's a decent chance now that Kevin Durant ends up winning the MVP and 
I, you know, I, I kind of thought he should have been given more consideration last year, but he just ended up missing too much time. Uh, and that, that ultimately killed the narrative. But, you know, they, the case that I had made throughout last season was, you know, I, I think he's going to be boosted by this like comeback, um, you know, from the Achilles and, you know, hadn't seen him play in forever. There's going to be, you know, kind of this upswell of support for KD, but again, he, he just ended up missing too much time. And, and Jokic obviously had a crazy year and, and, and was a well-deserved winner, but maybe that's delayed a little bit till this year. I mean, Durant has just really barely missed any time, especially relative to uh, a lot of stars who missed more games due to COVID. He's only sat out five games so far and, you know, he has his highest scoring average since all the way back in 2013-14. He's, he's going to be over 30 points a game with a couple more good games uh, in the next week. I, I think Durant could you know, very quietly end up being the favorite at most books, you know, within a week or two here. I mean, I can't, I can't say it's a bad bet. I mean, you look at his numbers and you, you just have to wonder, like, what, what more would he have to be doing to earn, like, MVP vote? You know what I mean? It's, it's leading the league and scoring at 30 points a game. He's doing it on only 21 shots. Obviously, the efficiency is crazy. Nearly six assists a game, keeping the turnovers relatively low. Um, decent on defense. Like, he's, he's Kevin Durant. Like, it's just one of those things, like, how, many, how much more can we really say about the guy? Um, he's having one of the best years of his career. And Brooklyn is the second seed uh, in, the, in the East. So, you know, I think he's going to get downgraded because he does play with Harden. And I think he's going to get downgraded a little bit if he's going to be, like, behind Chicago as much as Chicago is, like, an amazing story. And I also just don't think, like, Durant's just not that sexy of a story. And I don't think people like him that much. Like, I know that shouldn't really matter for MVP, but it just... He's not going to win any popularity contest. And it's just like, it is one of those things where it's like, we know how good he's been. It's, it's the same, yeah. same thing with LeBron, except people actually like love LeBron James. Um, so that's yeah. kind well, of the some, argument. Some of the right people in MVP circles love LeBron James. Well, exactly. Exactly. So I, th- I think that's the argument for like going against him. But again, if we end up in the situation where it's like there are five, six legitimate candidates that, that people all feel strongly about, like I'm sure... You know, they're like you could, you could probably name five people right now who'd vote Le- Le- LeBron for MVP. You know, you you're pretty certain that like someone like Zach Lowe might go Jokic for MVP, and there are people who are yeah. still going to stick with Giannis. It's just it's kind of like as up to interpretation or as much as like up to your taste in basketball as, as it's ever been. Well, that argument is almost why I think Durant might win it is because I think. You know, if, if you're not like super locked in and you don't you don't like you haven't spent hours like furnishing your MVP take, maybe you're just like, yeah, I guess it's Durant. You know, his team's in second. He's scoring a bunch of points like, you know, there, there are reasons to go against Jokic. There are reasons to go against LeBron. There are reasons to go against Curry. Like it's hard. Like like you said, it's hard to build like a super compelling argument for Kevin Durant, but it's also pretty hard to build, build an argument against him. So, you know, I could kind of see him winning it almost by default, where you, it, it reminds me a lot of like some of the MVPs that Tom Brady has won where right. you know, he's rarely had like these dominant, dominant seasons. He's had a couple, but some of the MVPs he's won has just been like, well, there's, there's really no one else that could win it. Let's just give it to Tom Brady. And, and it feels like the Nets have been good enough that you're not going to say, ah, he hasn't won enough games. Uh, you know, they should have won more. Like, I, I think he's just, he's just kind of doing exactly what we expected. And it's not super compelling, but he's, he, he hasn't presented uh, reasons to knock him out of the race, I guess. You know, I, to me, if, like, if the Nets... Like the, the biggest thing he could do for himself, I guess, would be the Nets like pulling away and distancing themselves and and being the clear number one team in the East, right? Like I, I feel like that's kind of all that's missing yeah. from his cause because yeah, he plays on a super team. Yeah, people didn't love how that team came together, but one of the members of that you know big three has played two games so far, and the other one has been pretty disappointing relative to how he normally plays. Yeah, I mean, I you know I wouldn't bank on the Nets. I wouldn't want to be banking on the Nets pulling away because as much as I loved them before the season, like they just got a bunch of guys on their team right now that are just like, it's not, they got some just bad. <laughs> they're probably well, you, a lot you of can, bad You can say guys. David Duke's name. Nice means obviously it's a, well, it's a problem that he's playing, first of all. Um, but it's like, like, what are you really getting out? Like, you're not going to get anything defensively out of Patty Mills. The Marcus Aldridge is a stiff at this point. Joe Harris has been out. He'll come back. But it's like, Bruce Brown is fine. Griffin is done. James Johnson. Like, like these guys are, like, practically out of the league and are legitimate rotation players for the Nets. It's like, I just, 
can't trust I can't trust them to be the number one seed by a good margin. To me, it's just like I when you look at the odds and you're thinking about betting it, it's like I don't even want to really like touch it because I'm so afraid that like <laughs> it's so even that I don't I don't want to you know pick the wrong one. Um, and I I just think this award is going to end up being won probably after the All Star break. Oh, because I think in a lot of people's minds, like this is like a four way tie or it's super close. And I think once, you know, obviously, like that, the, the All Star break is a huge kind of reset point uh, for a lot of teams, whether it be through trades or just there's a lot more time to, to practice and, and, you know, understand what you were doing wrong in the first half. So I think, I think this really is going to be like an absolutely insane award race uh, from February onward. I think you're spot on. I, I think it could come down to which of the Warriors, Nets, and Bucks play the best over the final 30 games of the year, whatever it is, 25 games. You know, I, I've been on the honest train really from the start. And my argument there has been, you know, once Milwaukee's fully healthy and once they're at full strength, um, you know, they're going to start ripping off wins. They're, they're going to win like 15 out of 16. And Giannis is going to average 35, 12, and 7 during that stretch. And he's, you know, they're going to remind everybody, you know, why this team has been so dominant. But it, it just hasn't come together for Milwaukee. Like somebody is is hurt or somebody's in protocols every single night. You know, now it's Drew Holiday who has an ankle injury. Sounds like he's going to miss another game or two. You know, they were without a, a bunch of their, you know, bench guards these last few games due to protocols. Um, you know, it, it's looking like Milwaukee is really not going to have very many games under its belt with the full roster. And, you know, that's kind of excluding Brooke Lopez, who is probably going to finish the season playing in like three quarters of one game. <laughs> Yeah, the Bucks, um, like you mentioned, they just they have not they have not been healthy really at any point uh, throughout the season. I think I'm pretty sure I checked this the other day. I think they only have two five man groups that have played more than 100 possessions together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just they've gotten they've gotten 40 games out of Pat Congleton, which is pretty much like the only person all season who has not gone down with some like random injury. Um, but he's he's the leading minutes leader. You know, Grace Allen's fourth on the team in minutes. Jordan Nawara is eighth on the team in minutes, and he's like not even really that much a part of a rotation when everyone's healthy. So, you know, I mean, they're coming off the title. They're in no. I I don't think they're in any rush to like get these guys back on the court and play them a ton of minutes. And um, you know, we said it towards the beginning of the year, but you know, the Bucks especially have been coming off like they've basically been playing nonstop basketball for like three years. You know, with with the shortened seasons or the condensed season off season, and they're going deep into the playoffs every year. They haven't really caught a break, and they're coming off the finals. It's just like how, you know, how how much can we really expect out of them in the regular season? Yeah, that's it. Those are all fair points. I, I want to touch on coach of the year odds real quickly. We this is typically not one that we discuss in depth, but I do think there are some value opportunities here, and I'm looking at Taylor Jenkins at seven to one right now who based on what this team is doing and every, everything that we just said about them in the first 20 minutes of this, of this episode, it feels like he should be the leader, right? He's, he's fifth in the odds behind Billy Donovan, Monty Williams, Steve Kerr, JB Bickerstaff. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say any of those guys aren't in the race or, or shouldn't have the odds that they do. I think Bickerstaff, you know, at plus 450 makes a lot of sense. I, I don't love the argument for Steve Kerr at four to one or Monty Williams at four to one. I've said a number of times, like, I think, you know, last year was probably Monty Williams' chance to win it. The Suns were good last year. They were surprisingly good last year. And this year they are as good as we expected. So I don't see this as some, like, great coaching job by Monty Williams. And you can kind of make the same case for Steve Kerr. And I think him being near the top of this list made a lot more sense a few months ago when the Warriors were, like, by far the best team in the league. They got off to that great start. Curry's playing well. You know, Clay hadn't even come back yet. They're still a very good team, but they're not like running away with the Western Conference by any means. And and obviously there's a ton of talent on that team. And and historically, this award goes to the coach who you know wins more games than he's expected to. Um, and, and if it doesn't go to a coach like that, it, it's a situation where, you know, one team is just super dominant. You know, the, the 73 win Warriors, Kerr was coach of the year there. You know, Pop has won a couple when the Spurs had some 60 win seasons. Like, you know, it, it's pretty tough for an established, really good championship coach like Steve Kerr to win this award when his, his team is on pace for like 57 or 58 wins. You know, to me, that's not a remarkable enough season to propel him over guys like Bickerstaff and Taylor Jenkins. 
and even Billy Donovan, who's actually the leader at plus 370. Yeah, it does feel like the Grizzlies need some sort of award. So if Morant doesn't win, you know, uh, MVP or most improved, I feel like if you're not voting him for those, you're more likely to vote Taylor Jenkins coach of the year. Um, I do like that one because they didn't make any like crazy off-season acquisitions. Like actually, people thought they messed up their off-season stuff by sending out Valen Junis and getting back Stephen Adams, and that's ended up working. Um, so, and and on the other hand, like Billy Donovan makes sense as a favorite, but they did the Bulls did so much in the off-season that that's where like I don't like giving the award to coaches who just like. They were probably always really good coaches to begin with, but never had like a decent roster to work with. And that's kind of why I wasn't leaning that much towards like, Monty Williams last year. So you add Chris Paul, Chris Paul is basically a coach for you. Um, and that's why I was more of a Tibbs guy last year. So I think Taylor Jenkins is at seven to one is, is definitely a, a really nice bet. Yeah, I, I think there's some value there. I, I don't see that number, you know, going down by much. I think this might be a, a buying opportunity when you're talking about that one. Uh, let's touch on title odds real quickly. Um, it, it says a lot that, you know, again, we, we've spent most of this podcast fawning over the Memphis Grizzlies who sit at 35 to one to win the title. Meanwhile, the floundering Los Angeles Lakers remain 14 to one. So this is a reminder that, um, you know, these odds are, are, are not necessarily a reflection of who the sports book thinks is going to win, but it's more so how can we get people to bet on these odds? Um, but I, I'm going to keep coming back to the Lakers throughout the year, like until they are officially eliminated or, you know, until they've lost a, a game five on the road at Memphis in the first round, there's still going to be like 1% of me that thinks we cannot write off a LeBron James team, especially when he's playing like this. No, I'm with you. I, I still think there's a really good chance they, they win the title. Um, a really good know, chance? I'm, I'm sure they'll... I think so. I think they have a good chance. I don't think, you know, I think the Warriors and Suns are beatable teams. Like, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I call me, <laughs> I, I call me, you know, hard-headed for still believing in, like, the the overall talent that the Lakers have, um, even though the fit hasn't been amazing. But who knows? They could be one of those post-All-Star break teams, you know, where they, like, um, they go back into the lab and they figure something out that wasn't working in the first half of the year, or maybe they make some trade that's significant. You know, everybody keeps talking about, should they trade Westbrook? I don't know. I, I don't really, it doesn't, they don't necessarily, I don't think have to do that. Um, I just, I don't know. I can't, I can't quit them for some reason. Yeah. I mean, you're preaching to the choir on that one, pal. <laughs> I got two words for you. Kendrick Nunn, zero minutes played this year. I've received almost no updates. Although this past week, uh, there, I, I did see a video on Twitter of him like lightly running on the court. I think it was pre-game or post-game. So, you know, once Kendrick Nunn's in the mix, you know, maybe things change. But man, it, I don't know. With this Lakers team, it always it always feels like one step forward, like five steps back. You know, they go on that three-game winning streak, everything's looking a little better, and then they play Memphis and are down like 30 in the third quarter. Yeah, you know, like I, I have I have no faith at this point. Like they've proven that they can beat teams that are worse than them. They have not proven whatsoever that they can beat a team that is better than them. Yeah, you know things are going awry when you make all these off-season additions and, uh, you know, in mid-January, Stanley Johnson is starting at power forward for you. Uh, the, fact, the fact that LeBron James is starting at center and you have, like, yeah. three other centers on the roster who are just getting DNPs every night. I know, yeah. It turns out stacking the centers didn't work. Um, when they have the best point guard slash center in the NBA. Um, yeah, I don't know what they do, man. It's not like they can, like, trade most of these guys that they sign for anything meaningful. And um, I don't know. I just, again, like, the Suns, are, the Suns and Warriors and Jazz, to some extent, are just a machine. But I, I don't, like, I, I just don't envision for certain the Lakers, like, getting destroyed by those teams. And I don't. For some reason, it's just it's hard for me to imagine like the Lakers completely going down without a fight and not making it like really competitive with just the amount of talent that they have. I'm gonna keep banging my head against the wall with that, but like it, it seems impossible for you to have LeBron, Westbrook, and Anthony Davis and not eventually figure it out like in in during the season. I, I think the Westbrook piece is just not figure outable. 
Like, is that, is that a possibility? You know, I, I think like Davis and LeBron, we've seen it work. We've seen LeBron succeed with, with role players who are, you know, well below average to like out of the NBA when they're not playing with LeBron. So like, to me, that's not a concern. Like the rest of the roster. Yeah. It's not great, but LeBron is, has won titles with, you know, Norris Cole as like his fifth best player. So I, I'm not super concerned about that, but I, it's the Westbrook piece. Like, I, I just don't think, and a lot of people said this before the year, it's not like this is an original take. Like I, there's just something about that guy. You, you cannot win at the highest level with Russell Westbrook, especially at this stage in his career. You know, the, the guy's played in an NBA final, so it's not like he hasn't gotten there, uh, but he needed Kevin Durant and James Harden and peak Serge Ibaka on his team to even get there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the counter to that is he's always been a top two option in those situations, right? Sure. Like he, we've never seen Westbrook. Now, is he really a third option when Anthony, like, is he the second option? Is Anthony Davis the third option? That's kind of hard to say. But is a, is a third option Russell Westbrook? Is that the key? Like, just you, the more you lower his usage rate, the the higher your championship odds become. I mean, maybe yes. that's real. <laughs> I don't, I just the, I, the question obviously for him is like, what does this role become? Does he become more of like a you know people throughout the the Bruce Brown term, which I was like laughing hysterically when people were like, well, we just use Russell Westbrook like Bruce Brown, and like that might the thing is that may not even be a bad idea. It's just like comical to think about. Right. Um, you have to like accommodate uh, for him. Like he just I, I I really don't know. I at some point maybe you know LeBron and him reach like a breaking point. Um. I don't think that necessarily results in him being traded. And I Westbrook's career is is almost like at this is like a big moment in his career, I think. So I don't think he wants to mess that part of uh, part of it up either. So I agree with you on that. I don't know that he seems to sense that. You know, it's like everybody else seems to know, like, hey man, like you're this is like your real this is really your last chance. Like if you if you think of yourself as a championship player, like this is it. You're not ever gonna be in a better situation. At this point in your career, I mean, he's, you know, he's still been relatively healthy this season. That's been the one saving grace, I guess, if you're trying to look on the bright side. But like, he did, he, there's been no accountability, right? Like that, that was kind of the, the the argument in favor of the Lakers coming into the season was, yeah, it didn't work in Houston. Yeah, it didn't work in Washington. Yeah, it didn't work at the end in OKC. But, you know, he's never played with LeBron. And LeBron is the one who's going to be able to, to to force him to play disciplined basketball I think if anything, he's been more undisciplined than ever. Like that narrative is out the window. Uh, well, I think, you know, I think it looks worse when you're playing with LeBron because LeBron is like one of the most mistake free kind of players out there. Just super efficient. seems like when he, you know, like LeBron, when he turns it on, he takes his intensity up to a different level and his performance follows him pretty directly. It's not too often where you see LeBron, like, uh, you know, flip the proverbial switch and like just play badly. Um, Westbrook is almost like the opposite, where it's like the harder he tries, the worse he plays. Um, <laughs> so I, again, like they're a very weird, they're a very weird combination. Uh, extremely entertaining. You know, it's a little. I guess it is surprising to me that they aren't playing that well because I thought they would. I, I didn't think it would matter. Um, but I I don't know what I mean. Maybe they try to switch things up when the Anthony Davis comes back. I mean, they played well. Um, they've played like decently well since AD went down. I mean, LeBron's been insane. Yeah. Uh, but they've they've won. I think it's five of their past seven. So. Yeah. I don't know, man. Yeah, it's just funny to me that I, I think LeBron looks around the league and sees. You know, Steph Curry going like six of 21 from the field and the Warriors win by 17, you know, and it's like, I guess like, LeBron ever been on a team where that's been the case. You know, it seems like every every team he's on, you see a stat where it's like LeBron out of the lineup, minus 25 net rating, like no yeah. matter who the team is around him, like and part of that's his own fault, of course, but he's never really been in a situation where he can just pick his spots. You know, it seems like every single year it's like, oh, this roster is so loaded and then Something goes horribly wrong, and midway through the year, LeBron is playing 39 minutes every single night, carrying the team on his back. Like I, I think this guy just wants to be in a situation where he can put it on cruise control sometimes. And it, again, mostly due to his own roster building, has just never really been able to achieve that. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point. It really does seem like LeBron knows that he he like he can't make mistakes. 
he knows that like if I have bad if I have a bad game, we're like we're going to lose. <laughs> like it yeah. seems so tied to his performance. And I mean, some of that might be, you know, he hasn't been like a great shooter throughout his career. Like there's only so much, you know, LeBron's gonna do like off the ball or defensively yeah. or whatever. But um yeah, he hasn't had a lot of leeway. And I, like I think to me that was like the argument that bringing in Russell Westbrook would be a good thing. It's like, well, you know, LeBron can actually take some possessions off. He doesn't have to dribble as much. Um, he can do some more stuff from the from the high post with passing and um yeah, I don't, I don't out, know if like, the plan was to be starting him at center. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The plan's not to start him at center and also hike his usage uh, usage rate up. It's like, you know, because he I think the more he sees Westbrook with the ball, the more he's like, I I need yeah. the ball actually. And apparently the, the Lakers are under some sort of moral obligation to continue playing Westbrook thirty five minutes every single night. You know, I, there's he's always had this hold over teams where it's like even though all the numbers say that we're better without him. He's Russell Westbrook. We got to play him. And the Lakers have not really backed down from that. And, and obviously they don't have a lot of great pieces to to play over Russell Westbrook. So that's part of the issue. Let's just run through a couple more items, kind of kind of odds and ends, um, some to do with fantasy, uh, others not. Uh, and then we'll get out of here. But Thomas Bryant sounds like we'll be back for the Washington Wizards on Wednesday night. Did not play in Tuesday's game against OKC, but he'll make his debut. I think it's a little over a full calendar year. Uh, since he tore his ACL last season, it's going to much like anybody coming off of a serious injury. It's going to be a while. I think until we, you know, Thomas Bryant is fully back to looking like himself, but he returns to a, a very interesting depth chart situation where it felt like last year, he was like the only viable big man on this team. And now the wizards have Daniel Gafford, Montrez Harrell, Rui Hachimura's back, Greg Monroe, technically still on the roster, you know, Kuzma, Bertans, Denny Avdia, like, yeah, you have seven or eight guys kind of in the mix at that four and five spot. Yeah, Hachimura has played some five before. Um, and he just sure. returned after being out like for a long time. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love Thomas Bryant. I think he's he has a you know good potential in the NBA as like a maybe not a starter, but like a high end backup. Um, can shoot the three like really efficient. Yeah, but if, I mean, if you have him in fantasy, I just don't know. You can't, you can't really be expecting that much, like you mentioned, because Gafford and Harrell are there. Not, not that either guy has been playing out of their minds lately. Like Gafford was hot for a while, then Harrell was out for a while, and I feel like it's been a minute since we've really heard, you know, any like they haven't, they haven't, they've cooled off, um, as have the Wizards as a whole. So there's potential for Thomas Bryant to step in there, but I think if you're expecting more than 20 like low 20s minutes out of him consistently that's you you're, you're that's wishful thinking if you think you're getting more than that uh regularly okay well call me a wishful thinker because i've been stashing him in our stake league and i, I <laughs> desperately need to get something out of thomas bryant as i just continue to lose guys week after week like i'm not even being hit by covid anymore it's just straight up injuries at this point like i really 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 need cj mccollum back and he's just like, nah, you know, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait until my wife gives birth. Then I'll then I'll maybe come back later this week. Like, <laughs> but there's no room for that, CJ. Like, we need you now. I need yeah. I need to climb out of the basement of this league right now. Um, so I, I'm hoping to get something out of Brian. I mean, if you look at last season, he played in I think like nine healthy games, and an average exactly 30 minutes in those games. So I, I'm with you. I don't think that's realistic. Even if he comes back and looks really good, and he's their best option, you're you're kind of under an obligation to play Gafford. You're under an obligation to play Harrell. I just, I just don't think there's going to be a situation where he's walking into 30 minutes at any point. But in those 30 minutes, he averaged 16 points, seven rebounds, two assists, almost a full block per game, one three per game, shot 43% from beyond the arc and 65% from the field overall. So, I mean, this is a guy that, when healthy, has a, a pretty impressive fantasy track record. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, he's a, he's a per-minute guy. Um a lot of centers are like that, like Nas Reed, permanent monster. Oh, yeah. Robert Williams, obviously, all has, fell into that category before he actually started getting real minutes. Um, yeah, I just feel like if you have Bryant, I don't think he's a bad stash. Like, we're in a 14-team league, the league that you're talking about. I think that's okay. But it, it does seem difficult for me to, like, really think he's going that far over his career averages, just kind of given that he's coming off an injury. He might not even play back-to-backs. Um, the competition and his career averages are, you know, 11 and six 
with almost a block, one and a half uh, assists in like 21 minutes. And, you know, that's, that's fine on a three-game week. I mean, that's better than a lot of other centers are giving you, especially if you can hit a three. But um, you sound like you are in a tough situation. Yeah, don't don't patronize me. I uh, I, know, I know what I've done. <laughs> you know, that's that's what I get when when I, I Paul George, Bam Adebayo, CJ McCollum. Um, I do awesome. have Clay coming back. You know, so there is that at least. But uh, the the no update on Adebayo, and it's been like six or seven weeks at this point, has been uh, mildly concerning. I guess we'll, to say the least. I, I should have saved the Slack message that when I when I got Adebayo in the auction, Shannon messaged me and said, "Well, there you go. There's your stake." And uh, at the time, I was like, "Oh wow, okay. I guess Shannon really likes my team." And little little did we know, um, it has gone completely haywire. Let's touch real quickly on an article that you put live on Rotowire earlier today, just kind of a, a general check-in uh, on the, the rookie class. And we're, we're kind of throwing out the first month and a half of the season and just looking at the last 30 days, who's been the most impactful in that span. So I'll, I'll turn it over to you, and, and you can touch on any number of the seven or eight guys who you listed in this piece. Yeah, I use the last 30 days because the whole season – a lot of these guys are settling into their roles. I didn't want to go like past two weeks because there's too much COVID absences. So I just kind of settled on, on one month. It was just kind of the rationale there. Um, Kate Cunningham uh, ranks 59th in eight category over the past month. He's the number one rookie during that span. He also, I am very certain, is the number one rookie on the year as a whole. Um, I wrote an article about midseason fantasy awards last week in which he, he basically took that down. Um, I mean, he, he's still pretty up and down. Like, he scored a career-high 29 points against the Jazz and then followed it up with eight points and six turnovers yesterday. Um, but he's been, he's been really good overall. Um, the, the, the biggest shock to me, honestly, was seeing uh, Herb Jones, only one spot behind Cade Cunningham at ranks 60, mostly because he's averaging 1.4 steals and 1.3 blocks in 33 minutes over the past month, and he's got 51, 38, 86 shooting splits. I did not realize that. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew he was playing a ton of minutes and, you know, had the defensive numbers, but would not have guessed that he was a top 60 player uh, in yeah. that span. That's that's wild. Um, but yeah, you, you hit on Josh Giddy, you hit on Franz Wagner, uh, Evan Mobley, who I believe has missed some time during that span. So he's, he's down at 94th. Um, I, I You know, Jalen Green still not really making much of a fantasy impact just because he doesn't really offer anything other than scoring and threes and, you know, free throw percentage, I guess, to some degree, he's at about 82% on the year, but I, I think he's looked quite a bit better since returning from that hamstring injury that kept him out virtually all of December uh, last nine games. He's at 18 points a game, 44% shooting 83 at the line, 41% from three on high volume. Uh, but again, I mean, he's at, he's under three rebounds a game, under two assists, really not giving you anything on defense. Yeah, you hit the scoring, which is good. I mean, he's he's been efficient lately, scoring double digits in every game since returning from the hamstring injury, which he wasn't he wasn't really doing consistently before. Um, you mentioned the stats being down. It's like on one hand, he's scoring 18 points a game with only 2.2 turnovers, which is pretty good. Um, but the one point seven assists makes that tough as well. Um, but it's a step in the right direction. And it's like one of those things where obviously like we had the Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood situation, like those guys kind of, you know, blowing up the other game, getting mad at <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. getting crossed up by uh, Facundo Campazzo and then just driving home. Um, and yeah. so I don't like, I don't, I don't know like how much longer, like I wouldn't be surprised if those guys are gone by the deadline or at least, KPJ is not that he's the easiest guy in the world to trade, but there is a scenario I think where the keys do end up like actually in the hands of Jalen Green and to some extent Shangun post trade deadline. Oh yeah, I mean I, I think Kevin Porter Jr. I think could be on his way out of the league. Honestly, you know it's like if you can't if you're on the Fritz in Houston in this environment, like what team is looking to bring in Kevin Porter Jr. right now? Like if you're a team that's even remotely contending for a playoff spot, I don't think you want that guy. And at the same time, like it's, it's not even like he's playing all that well. You know, it's, it's one thing like you could live with, you could live with a guy, you know, being a bad influence on the rest of the roster if he's averaging 25 and 10. I mean, that's, that's basically been the history of the NBA. But, you know, if you're driving home at halftime 
And then on top of that, you're shooting 35% from the field, 60% from the line and 30% from three. Like what, what team is lining up to be the number three, you know, reclamation project for Kevin Porter. I just, I just don't see it. I don't either, you know, cause most of these guys, you know, most of these teams are like not willing to take the ball out of the hands of the guys they've like drafted to fill that role. Like, you know, I doubt he'd right. end up on like a title contention team. It's not like he's going to end up in OKC. Um, it's not like he's going to end up in Detroit uh, or any, you know, any other team like in that tier. So I just like, I don't know what the, the potential destination is. You know, I think, I think teams are a lot more willing to take the risk on like centers and maybe even wing players who kind of fit that description. But when they're like supposed to be a primary ball handler, it's just, it, it kind of creates a whole nother set of issues based on the who they are on the floor combined with who they, you know, what their personalities are. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way uh, to phrase it. Is there anyone else you want to hit on in that article before we hop out of here? Uh, nothing crazy. I mean, just, you know, Scotty Barnes, his, his production has been down a little bit. Um, I think we should have seen this coming with the team getting healthier. Van Vliet, Bax, Yakum, OG, Gary Trent still take a ton of shots. He's not playing bad, but it's just, it's kind of a, I think it's kind of a regression of the mean and the what his role will ultimately end up being. Um, and then congrats if you picked up Omer Yurtsevin in any of your leagues, um, like sure I have. did in our stake league. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry about that. That I, uh, he's the, he's the real Bam out of Iowa. Um, <laughs> but uh, Dwayne Dedman's coming back. So if you have yours, then just keep in mind that like he, is, he might not be like a uh, nightly 12, 15, and 3 for you anymore uh, once Dedman's back. Although I, it, it, it's hard for me to think that like him and Dedman won't at least split time like 24 minutes. Yeah, yeah no, I'm with you. I think he's going to be the number one guy until Bam is back. I, I think you. I think you probably play him over Dedman. And, and like you said, maybe they split it about evenly. I could see that being the case. Uh, but Dedman was also playing pretty well before he went down. So, you know, it's not like he's just a nothing out there. And I, I did lie when I said we did not get an update on Adebayo because one was actually written on rotowire.com as we've been recording here. Uh, he could be back as, or, as soon as next week. So oh, wow. things are looking up for me. That's good. Yeah, now, I mean, I think, I, think you, I think you're still alive if you got Paul George coming back out of bio. Makes it, maybe you have to make a trade or something, you know, make a, make a deadline trade, right. uh, swing for the fences. But I, I don't think you're done in the water yet, although I haven't looked at the standings, admittedly. It's not good. Don't look at them. But we'll, okay. we'll end on this. I, I did make a pretty big trade last week. I, I did a one-for-one, one, you know, my uh, struggling star for your potentially overachieving star with, with Kurt in our league. I got Jonas Valanciunas. I gave him to Aaron Fox. Yeah. Um, I, we'll let the people of the podcast know that Kurt reached out to me first and I sent him your way because I knew you needed help. So I, I there should be it. some sort of finder's fee. Maybe I should get Thomas Bryant on my IR. Um, that's just, you know, something to think about, but yeah, I think, I think that trade makes sense. Um, you know, Fox, obviously, I mean, you said it, Fox has been playing bad. Valanciunas has been playing good. You needed someone to replace out of bio at center. I mean, these are the kinds of trades that like you have to, First of all, this is why it's good to play in a league that people are actively trading because there are a lot of situations otherwise where it's like if you lose your starting center and you don't really have a good backup and you can't trade with anybody, you're kind of just dead in the water and you end up in a situation where you really didn't have to like lose value to, to get a uh, replacement player at a position that you needed. Right. Well, I was at I was down three centers at one point, three center eligible players, at least. I, you know, I lost Adebayo and then I picked up JaVale McGee, who was, you know, keeping me somewhat afloat for a little bit. And then he went down um, and then I had Larry Nance, who also went down. So that was that was kind of the the impetus to finally pull the trigger there. I just I literally had nobody that I could start at center that week uh, because I, I I forget who I even tried to pick up on waivers. That one failed. And my one complaint about this league is there's no. There's no like, you know, poor people waivers for me. Like you miss out on anybody. Yeah. You could just, you could pick up somebody who wasn't claimed for free. Um, I, oh, I don't love yeah. that. So I was just like, all right, I guess I'm just going to, I'm going to start, you know, Thomas Bryant, despite the fact that I know he's out. Uh, but luckily Kurt swooped in and was able to take De'Aaron Fox off my hands. I will say he initially tried to get Drew Holiday for uh, Valanciunas straight up. And I, I steered him toward Fox instead. Uh, and of course, right away, uh, Drew Holiday then gets hurt and hasn't played now in like three or four games in a row. <laughs> Been a tough year. Well, I think I think I think you made the right call. Um, 
yeah, I mean, you know, Holiday is like easily top 40 upside at boxes. You know, I'd be shocked if he reached that that mark. Um, you just have to hope at this point that Valanciunas, you know, can continue with the usage rate that he has been, which I, I don't know why he wouldn't. Um, and I don't think he's going to get traded or anything like that. And, and I don't think Zion's coming back because they uh, he was, got shipped to Oregon or something. Um, yes. So I, uh, I, I think you made the right call. And I mean, once once out of bio's back, you're going to be. I mean, you're going to be flush for the rebounds and uh, everything like that. So you you might be in a position where you can make more trades that um, even out some some stats. Like you know, a lot of times you're playing a roto league, it's like you're first in something, but you're last in something else, and you can you can climb up the standings just by kind of adjusting what your roster looks like. Okay, thank you for this pep talk. I feel a lot better now. There was a while there where I, I didn't even like checking the league day to day. It was just like you know. Just a free fall uh, down the standings. But all right, I, I feel good about where I am. If, if Bam's back next week, you know, I got Clay back in the mix, uh, Thomas right. Bryant back in the mix. Things are things are looking up for, I don't even know what my team is called in that league. The Ron Dane team, I think. That's usually what I default to uh, if I can't think of anything else. But all right, man, we'll leave it off here. Covered a lot of ground. This is a really fun one. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.